is a crazy thing, because honestly, I cannot remember what I ate for breakfast two days ago, but I do remember the smell of tempera paint and the sight of, of tiny little drawings lining the walls of my elementary school and you know walking in single file lines on the way to music class passing the big windows as the building was flooded with natural light it, it's weird it's even weirder when you observe memories through the lens of a play as well which in this case tennessee williams have had absolutely no qualms about Springfield High School's favorite podcast, Book Talk. I'm your host, Alisa Samaniego, and today we are going to be talking about one of Tennessee Williams' most famous plays, The Glass Menagerie. Now, granted, I wouldn't say famous is a stretch, but it may not live up to the same hype as, say, maybe a streetcar named Desire, but The Glass Menagerie does have its own unique characteristics that does give it merit and does make it interesting to read and kind of analyze. the story we need to understand the characters it's centered around the whole play is narrated by nick wingfield who is talking about these series of events retrospectively as a grown adult a you know older man who is reflecting back on his early adulthood and how these events have shaped him and his sister and mother Aside from Tom, we have Laura Wingfield, Tom's younger sister, who is physically disabled, and Amanda Wingfield, Tom's mother, who is somewhat stuck in the illusion of the past and the memories of being a beautiful southern belle with suitors left and right. to the plot. The whole play is essentially taking place in St. Louis, 1937, in the Wingfield apartment. That's where most of the action takes place. The play opens up, we've got the stage directions, and Tom is narrating about the lives of his family, how his father had long since abandoned them, and how it's just him, his sister, and his mother. So it opens up to their apartment. Laura is in the corner, tending to all of her glass animals, her glass figurines that she treasures very much. Her mother is in the kitchen nagging Laura, you know, you need to find a suitor. Is Is there anyone waiting on you outside? And Tom is pretty much in the background of all of this, you know, getting getting his coffee ready, getting ready for another day's work at the warehouse. So in act two and act three at some point in those acts tom and his mother amanda come into this huge argument about how tom is always going out to the movies every single night it's almost like an escapist hobby and tom gets angry how it's his day is so monotonous the same thing over and over again and he says that he can't call a single thing his and Amanda gets angry, says hurtful things, and Tom says, you know, you're not fit to take care of us, you do nothing except sit around in this apartment, etc, etc. And the whole, the whole scene ends in 
uh, in one of Laura's glass figurines shattering, and Tom runs out of the apartment, leaving his mother and Laura and just, you know, in an emotional turmoil. Later in Act 4, Tom and his mother, Amanda, come to a a resolution, and they are on good terms. At some point, Amanda finds out that her daughter, Laura, who was previously enrolled in business college, had dropped out due to immense anxiety from typewriting classes, and, you know, with Laura's extreme timidness, and of course mild insecurity due to her physical disability, she just drops out and on the hours that she's supposed to be at school she goes out for long walks around the park her mother amanda is not happy and decides oh the perfect solution is to get my daughter a suitor now amanda being a southern belle that she once was in her youth in a way she kind of projects on on her daughter laura and is like oh you know i know how to solve her problems i couldn't solve mine but i can solve hers by finding her a man and so Tom brings home his co-worker, Jim, from the warehouse. And actually, a plot twist, Jim was Laura's uh, former crush back in high school, who Laura never had the... she never had the courage to talk to him. But Jim did have a unique nickname for her, Blue Roses. Now, at some point in Act 5 and 6... Jim shows up to the apartment with flowers and they set up a date for Jim and Laura in the apartment, you know, candlelight, flowers, dinner, everything. Amanda, her mother, shows up in this gorgeous dress, dressed to the nines, again, trying to relive her Southern Belle moments. And Jim and Laura get along very well. They hit it off and Laura finally starts to let her guard down and she feels comfortable in her own existence and in Jim's presence. Jim kisses her and they share tender moments, but all of a sudden he confesses that he has a girlfriend that he is going steady with. And as he's running out of the apartment, he tells Tom and Amanda that he's engaged to be married, which is a major plot twist to the family. When Jim runs off, Tom and Amanda start yelling at each other. Amanda blames Tom for not telling her in advance, and Laura is just an emotional mess. And Tom pulls a runner, just like his father, runs away, never sees his family again, and Laura and Amanda are just left in emotional shambles. And the scene, the the whole play closes on Tom's narration, how he is forever trying to escape the memory of his sister, and he can never seem to avoid her flame. I'm going to say the plot is definitely kind of depressing. <laughs> but now that we've talked about the plot, I think this is a great time to talk about some of the themes and imagery that does come up throughout the Glass Menagerie. One common theme that runs throughout the whole play is essentially the concept of escapism. You see this time and time again in our three main characters. With Tom, his escapist habit is going to the movies and watching all these wondrous adventures that he can't have. These are things that he wants, but he knows he'll never find through his monotonous job or his, yeah, his nine to five job and the responsibility of taking care of his mother and his sister. Now, with Laura, her escapist habit is much is also an outward, external factor. It's 
her glass figurines. She tends to them almost obsessively. They have a very strong sentimental value to her, and oddly enough, it's one of the few things throughout the play that give her true val- not necessarily validation, but true purpose, true satisfaction. And with Amanda, their mother, her escapist habit isn't really external, it's much more internal. She loves to reflect back on her days as a southern belle when she was admired and desired by all of these men and had, you know, money and influence and power. And this is her way of coping with the harsh reality of events, how her husband left her, and of course, she is absolutely helpless at the reality that she is experiencing and the reality that she is essentially built for herself and her two children. Now, aside from escapism, we do see pieces of imagery throughout the glass menagerie, primarily Laura's glass figurines. These things are used to symbolize that illusion that these characters have been living in, or also the escapist habits that they face and how they find illusion within these habits as well as illusion within their own realities. It's a very, it's a very multifaceted um, symbol and it has been interpreted in a lot of different ways. But ultimately, it adds to the complexity and it adds to the nuance of the glass menagerie as a memory play overall. Thanks for listening to Book Talk. I'm your host, Elisa Samaniego, and I'm signing out.